I want to read you up. I want to read you something from the scripture that I think is going to be powerful in your heart, powerful in your life today. I think it's going to resonate with some people today because God has a word for you. Whatever you're going through, whatever circumstance you're in, as we enter the holidays, sometimes we go through ups and sometimes we go through downs. Sometimes we experience some memories and difficulties and hardships and pain from our past or some anxieties about the future. And the Apostle Paul, in a letter to the Philippians, wrote these words, and I want to share them with you. He said this, I've learned, he said, to be content. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. How many of you want some more contentment in your life? You want to, you want to feel a little more contentment in your heart? I know, he says, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to need somebody to deliver a box of food to me on Christmas Eve. And, and I also know what it is to have everything I need. The wallet is full. The wallet is empty. I've, I've experienced both. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And then he tells us the secret. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do it all through him who gives me strength. Aren't you glad you have a source of strength right now? A source of grace, a source of love, a source of mercy, a source of hope in your life. I want you to help me before we start, before I preach this sermon today. I want you to turn to your neighbor before you sit down and tell him my sermon title. Tell him that the secret is in the source. Tell him the secret is in the source and you can grab your seat. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, worship team. The secret. Amen. All right. How many of you guys have family family in for Thanksgiving today, this week? We've got family, friends in, coming from out of town. Um, here, here's the good thing. We're going to get to go deep today because as I, as I mentioned in the first service, on, you know, holidays like this, it's only, it's only the real believers, the only the real Christians show up. Everybody else is in a turkey coma at home, just relaxing. So we're going we're gonna to go deep. We're going to get in some good stuff today, and we're going to explore what the Scripture says uh, about experiencing God's contentment in our life. Uh, there was a psychologist in the state of Washington, and this is uh, uh, not, not long ago, and this, this psychologist wanted to put together a list of uh, the kinds of things that you and I will uh, normally experience in life that cause us stress, like difficult, challenging things in life that cause us stress. And he, and he tried to list the ones that were sort of, uh, you know, common to most people, like a lot of people will go through these kinds of stress. And then he wanted to quantify them and give like a numerical value to them so that you could gauge yourself and kind of add up your points and see how much stress that you're experiencing. Anybody experiencing any stress right now in the during the holiday season, a little bit, only about eight people, and the rest are just like gravy. Everything's cool. Um, uh, so he, he put this list together. He called it the life stress test. And see if you recognize any of these, uh, these, these uh, inst instances in your life. So he said the death of a spouse is about the most intense, stressful thing that you can go through. So if you've been through that, that's a, that's 100. That's 100 points. Divorce kind of feels like a death, and that's about 73 points. A marital separation is 65. A jail term is 63. Death of a family member, very stressful. Personal injury, 
uh, or illness. And then this was interesting. Marriage is 50. So I said, uh, the divorce, divorce is 73, but marriage is 50. So all you single people, you're good. Don't worry about it. You just save, you're saving 50 points right now. You just put those in the bank. You can spend those later. Uh, fired from work, 47. Marital reconciliation, 45. So he said, getting married is stressful. Getting divorced is stressful. And then getting back together, apparently, is stressful. So there's 45 points there. Retirement, change in family health, pregnancy, sex difficulties, addition to family, change in financial status, death of a close friend, career change, foreclosure, a change in the circumstances at work, trouble with the in-laws, 29 points. Personal achievement, 28. That's interesting because that's something good, but it's still stressful. Even good things that change can be uh, stressful. Starting or finishing school, change in living conditions, trouble with the boss, and then, then, then just a list of changes. Change in residence, change in school, change in recreational habits, change in church activities, change in social activities, change in sleeping habits, change in eating habits. Vacation is 13 points of stress. Christmas season is only 12. I feel like he undervalued that a little bit. And then I love the last one, minor violations of the law. Just little, little things. Those little parking tickets, you know. Don't worry about that. That's only 11 points. You can spend that. Um, but what's interesting about this, uh, what's interesting about this list is most of these things are bad. Some of them are good, but all of them are changes. All of them represent a transition in your life. All of them represent something that was one way, the status quo, that shifted and something changed. Because change is difficult. Change is hard. Change is, is, is a challenging experience to go through. So we've been for the last seven weeks in this series called Transitions, and the subtitle is Navigating Life's Changes. Transitions, you can put that up, uh, Navigating Life's Changes, because what we're, what we're exploring is what does the Scripture teach us about how to transition, how to go through changes, how to transition well, uh, and these can be external changes, things that happen to us, or these can be changes that are happening in us. How do we transition well? How many of you like to exit better than you entered in general, in life? Like, you, like, you, you want to exit the gym better than the way you entered the gym, all right? Are you with me? You want to you exit the hair salon better than the way you entered the hair salon, all right? You want to you exit the barber better than you entered the bar. You want to exit school better than you entered school. You want to exit your job better than you entered your job. Everything in life, we want to we want to exit better. And so when we're entering transitions, we want, to, we want to exit those transitions better off than the way we were when we entered those transitions. And so we have to learn how do we transition well because life is, is, is just a constant flow of transitions. The only constant in life is change. Every one of us is either, is either entering, experiencing, or exiting a transition right now. All of us are experiencing Change after change, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. You can be a teenager, you can be past retirement, but you're going through changes. And so if we're going to experience life in the way that God wants us to experience it, we've got to learn to navigate transitions well. Because we know what happens when we don't do it well. Has anybody ever navigated a change not well, poorly? You poorly navigated that change. You came out worse than you entered. You exited the transition. Like you'll hear people say sometimes, for instance, they'll say, you know, he, he just never recovered from, from the divorce. He just never, you know, he went through that, and then he just couldn't get his feet back under him. Or, you know, she, went, you know, once she lost that job, something changed, and, and she just never kind of got, got it back together. Or after, after you know, uh, his wife died, he just, he couldn't get his equilibrium again, and he just never made it through, 
right? We've all heard this, and that's, what this means is that, man, it's, it's hard. It is hard to transition well. It's actually pretty easy to tra- transition poorly. Like, there are a lot of ways you can do it, a lot of variety of ways to transition poorly. But when we transition poorly, the outcome is poor. So we come out of a transition worse than the way we entered it. We can come out bitter. We can come out cynical from a transition. We can come out jaded. We can come out angrier than the way we entered. We can come out um, uh, less confident. Have you ever gone through something and then you come out of it less confident than the way you went into it, right? Because you, you're not quite sure how to transition well. You're not quite sure how to navigate it. And so the Apostle Paul in the scripture, in the letter that he wrote to the Philippians, he said, listen, I've actually learned to be content in all of these situations. Like every kind of thing you can throw at me, I, can, I have learned to be content in all of them. Whatever the transition is, whether things are going up, whether things are going down, whether I've got 400 likes on my, on my Facebook page or 400 dislikes, thumbs down, I've learned to navigate it well. I've learned to nav- when, the, when, the, when the diagnosis is benign, I'm all right. When the diagnosis is mal- malignant, I'm all right. I've learned to be content, he said, in every situation. And what's interesting, and here's where we're going to go deep, what's interesting is he uses a word when he's writing this letter, and it is the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. The only time. The word that he uses for content is, he only uses it this once in the Bible, and it doesn't show up anywhere else. And the word is autarkes. Autarkes. You know how long it took me to memorize the pronunciation of that? It took me a long time. But um, autarkes is the word. And the word, autarkes, is a Greek word that, that is actually two words. Alta means self, which is where we get the word auto, like um, autobiography means I wrote it myself. Automobile means it drives it on its own. Automatic means it works on its own. All right, we got that. Auto, and then our case means sufficient. So the Apostle Paul in this letter to the, to the Philippians, he says, I've learned to be auto our case. I've learned to be self-sufficient. I've learned to be all good in myself. I'm good, he says. I'm good. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter the external. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm good. Good times, I'm good. Bad times, I'm, I'm good. Medium times, I'm good. I'm just good. He says, I've learned how to be good. How many of you guys want to learn that? How many of you would like to learn that? I mean, I can tell you this. Sometimes I'm not content even when the situation is good. Have you ever had that happen? Where you're like in a good situation, but you still feel bad. Have you ever been sad in a good situation? Like you're sad, like you're at a, you're, you're surrounded by friends or family and you feel upset and there's actually no reason to be upset. Circumstances are good, but you feel sad. Or you feel angry when there's no reason to feel angry that you know of because the external circumstances are fine, right? And so sometimes we even feel, we, we, we don't even feel good when the circumstances would warrant us feeling good. He says, I've learned to feel good. I've learned to be good and content and self-sufficient in everything, in all, in all times, in good or bad. And then here's how, he, here's how he writes it out in this letter. He says, he, he takes it a little further. He says in uh, verse 12, he says, I have learned, he said, the secret of being content. So there's a, there's a mystery involved. That, that's the word he uses. It's a mystery. And I've, I've unlocked the mystery. I've discovered the mystery. In other words, being content isn't just, I, I'm not content just because I'm just good. I'm just that good. I was born good. That's not what he's saying. I wasn't just born good and I'm just content and I just flow through life like no problem. He says, I've learned it. 
I had to learn it. There's a secret to it. There's a mystery to it. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. How many of you want to learn the secret? How many of you would like to unlock the secret? Listen to me. If, if today you will get a hold of what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in this letter, this will be your best Christmas ever. I guarantee you that. 2019 will be your best year ever. I guarantee you that. Because you will learn the secret of being content in good times or bad. So I'm not saying that like the circumstances in 2019 will be the best ever, but you'll be the most content because if you get a hold of what the Apostle Paul is teaching and the secret of being content, then you will experience that contentment no matter what happens. He says this, I've learned the secret, and then he tells us the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So what he's saying is my ability to be content comes from a source other than me. Are you with me? Comes from a source outside of me. So if you're taking notes, here's what you want to write down today. The secret to contentment is found in its source. The secret to contentment is found in its source. Now let me give you a little historical background. I told you we were going to kind of go deep because you guys are the hardcore Christians in the house today. So what the Apostle Paul was actually doing, the reason he used this word, autarkes, the reason he used that word, it's a very specific word, and it was a word that was used by a couple different schools of philosophical thought during his time. And what he's doing is he's addressing those schools of thought, and he's saying, I'm going to put a spin on it. I've got something a little deeper, a little richer, a little more powerful for you, because one of the schools of thought that he was addressing was Epicureanism. This was a school of thought where the, the ultimate goal, the ultimate good is pleasure. And this was a philosophical school of thought that was prevalent in the day of the Apostle Paul. And the goal of Epicureanism is to limit pain and limit suffering, right? So that's kind of, it makes sense. I'm just giving you a thumbnail sketch of it. But it makes sense, right? So when you came out in the cold today, you put a cold on because you want to limit pain and limit suffering. So to a sense, in, to a degree, we agree, we agree with Epicureanism, right? Because you want to limit the amount of pain and suffering you go through, and that will bring you contentment. That was the philosophical premise. If you can limit it, if you can subdue it, the less pain and suffering you experience, the better your life will be. So that was Epicureanism. Control the externals. Then there was another school of thought called Stoicism. Stoicism said, look, we can't control the externals, but we can control ourselves. So what we have to do is get really strong within ourselves so that we can endure suffering on our own. We can make ourselves powerful. We can bite down uh, on the bullet and we can handle pain and suffering. So Epicureanism is control the externals. Stoicism is control the internals, control yourself. Because if you control yourself, then you can navigate through any kind of difficulty. And so we are alterites. We are self-sufficient. The Apostle Paul comes along and he says, okay, I'm going to take this one level deeper for all of you. He said, you know, you can't actually control the external circumstances all the time. How many know that some things just happen? You, they're out of your control. You can't control those, right? So, yes, you do want to try to minimize pain and suffering to some extent, but that's not the goal of life. And he said, and the, in fact, you can't not only not control the externals, but you can't always control the internals. Sometimes you don't feel good just because you don't feel good. You're sad just because you're sad. You don't have the internal strength to control your own thoughts and feelings and emotions at all times. Can somebody give me a witness, right? And, and if it's not you, it's the person next to you. Amen. Give me a witness for them, right? You can't always control yourself. He said, but 
If you want to experience true contentment, there is a source of strength that's outside of yourself that will give you the strength to have the strength inside of you to be content, whether in good or whether in bad. The secret of contentment is found in the source. What is the source of your strength? What is the source of your contentment? Uh, let me show you this. I'm going to give you a little illustration because we're, we're deep in the weeds and philosophical thought right now. So we're just going to break it down. All right, this is a water bottle. Amen, amen, brother, amen. This water bottle is full of water. Now, I like this water bottle. I use this water bottle when I'm exercising, whatever. I like to drink it. It's refreshing. It's nourishing. I like it. But this bottle is not useful to me if it's empty, right? It's just not useful to me because this, this bottle is the vessel for my nourishment. It's not the source of my nourishment. For this bottle to be useful, it needs to go back to the source on a repeated basis. In fact, even if this bottle has water in it, and I leave this bottle in my car, and it's hot outside, the water inside of the bottle is no longer refreshing to me unless I take the bottle back to the source and refill it. For this bottle to actually be full of vitality and nourishment and strength, it's got to go back to the source. It's got to keep returning to the source. It's got to go back to the source over and over again. The Apostle Paul says, this is your life. The external circumstances you can't control. You might be in a hot car. Are you with me? Just follow, follow this analogy. Just flow with me on this. You might be in, in hard circumstances, and you can't control those. Right? So you can't control the external circumstances. And if the bottle is empty, then that's not going to help you. If you don't have the, the bottle doesn't have the strength on itself to provide nourishment. You've got to go back to the source. That's why the Apostle Paul says, contentment is in me. It's not of me. I possess it. I didn't produce it. I receive it. I don't generate it. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not the source of it. I'm the recipient of it. I'm the recipient of contentment that is outside of me. Christ is the source of my strength. And when I focus on him and when I dip into the source, that's when I experience contentment in all kinds of situations. Amen. So the question then becomes, how do we, how do we experience this? Let's come out of the clouds for a minute. Because I love it. You know, you hear these ideas sometimes like, Christ is the source of my strength. And then you sing it, and we talk about it, we preach about it, and you say amen, and then you leave and you go, wait a minute, how do I, wait, what do we, wait, it was awesome. It was awesome in that moment, but like, how do I, now it's Monday morning, and I'm mad, and I'm upset, you know, and what was the source of my strength, and how do I tap into that again, and how do I, well, the Apostle Paul is a brilliant, brilliant communicator, brilliant pastor, brilliant apostle, and inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he, like a great coach, like a good communicator, he gives us a play-by-play. -play. He says, let me show you how to do this. Because I don't want you just to know something. I want you to do something. I don't want you just to know that Christ is the source of your strength. I want you to be able to access Christ as the source of your strength on a regular basis. So in this letter to the Philippians, in the, in the last chapter of this letter, the first thing he says, if you want to experience the contentment of Christ in your life, the first thing you need to do is rejoice. Rejoice, like as a command, not as a suggestion. Like he says, he says, it's not like, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awesome if you were happy? No, he actually gives a, 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 a statement that commands us rejoice. Now the question is this, all right, how do I rejoice when I'm in circumstances that do not warrant rejoicing? How do I 
how do I rejoice when I'm in unhappy circumstances? But he says something really interesting because he's, he's flowing with this theme that the, the, the secret to contentment is in the source. Because he says, you're not going to rejoice in your circumstances. You're not actually going to rejoice in yourself. Here's what he says in, in, the, in the next verse. He says, rejoice, where? In the Lord, always. Rejoice. So your joy, he's saying, is actually from God. It's you're rejoicing in the goodness of God in the midst of bad situations. You getting this? Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an example. When I was a kid, we used to go to Kings Island in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was an amusement park, amazing roller coasters. And they had this roller coaster there. It was called the Beast. And it was this wooden roller coaster. And, man, it was amazing. It was one of the fastest wooden roller coasters in the world, at least in my mind. And it was incredible. One time I went, and I was a kid. I rode this roller coaster 13 times in one day. I just kept going back in the line and just riding again, just riding again. And uh, one day I'll get a T-shirt. Uh, of the beast, and I'll wear it. But, but it, it was such an amazing roller coaster. And the problem with the roller coaster, of course, is so amazing that there was a long line. You know, have you ever been in the long line waiting for... And you're in this long line, and you're waiting to get on the roller coaster. But as a kid, let me tell you this, as a kid, I didn't mind the line. I was actually still excited while in the line because I knew that the line was leading me to the ride. So while I was in a, a bad situation, my bad situation was part of a bigger good situation. And so I was still excited about the ride because I was in the ride. I was on my way to the ride even while I was in the line. The Apostle Paul is saying you might be in a bad situation, but you're part of a bigger picture. You see, that's why you can rejoice in the Lord because even though you, you might be in a bad chapter, you're actually part of a, a good book. Come on, somebody. You're, you, he said you might, you might be in a tough situation right now, but you can still rejoice because, because the source of your strength is bigger than your situation, and it's bigger than you, and that's what you're a part of. You're in the midst of something grand and glorious. You're, you might be experiencing temporary suffering and temporary pain, but you're part of a path of eternal bliss in God. So you're in, you're in, a, you're in a bad line, but you're on a good ride. That's why he said, don't rejoice in the line, rejoice in the ride. Don't rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. Because the Lord is bigger than your circumstances. And he's bigger than you. And so if you can rejoice in God's goodness, even when you're in the midst of your own badness, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he said this, not only rejoice, he said, if you want to experience the secret of contentment, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching my kids right now um, the Ten Commandments. We're going through the Ten Commandments, and we're learning them, and we're memorizing them, and it's been really fun. So uh, every morning at breakfast, we get the Ten Commandments out. We start to go through them, and the first ones are really easy. It's like, um, have no other gods before me. Uh, don't make any idols and worship them. Don't misuse the, the name of the Lord. Don't use the Lord's name in vain, right? And then um, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's number four. Number five, we stayed on this one for a while. Honor thy father and thy mother. We just stuck on that one for a couple weeks. <laughs> Honor. Father and mother. Um, <laughs> and then we got to number six, which, which is um, uh, do not murder. I remember Lincoln being like, whoa, this is getting a little heavy, Dad. Don't you think? It's a little, we weren't planning on it. Um, and then I love, actually, I, I taught him number seven. And um, I love the way that 
Lincoln pronounced it. Number seven, he says, do not do adulterage. And um, I was like, yeah, we'll just leave that alone for now. We'll, you know, we'll follow up on that. Uh, then do not, do not, do not steal. Uh, do not lie. Do not bear false witness. But the 10th one is interesting. The 10th one was the hardest one to actually communicate to them. It says, do not covet. Like, do not covet what other people have. Do not covet thy neighbor's, you know, house or wife or camel or whatever. Don't, don't covet. And they're like, Dad, what does that even mean? What does covet mean? So I'm trying to give them, like, this kind of heavy, intense theological idea, you know, and they're 10 and 8 and 4, and then one is just, like, checked out, just, like, throwing Cheerios while we're talking. But um, she's, she's 2, so we give her, give her a break. So what, I've, what I finally was able to sort of narrow it down is this. I said, look, coveting is like you're so intently wanting what somebody else has that you've forgotten to enjoy what you already have yourself. You're so badly wanting something else that you're ignoring what you've already got. The Apostle Paul is saying to us, he said, if you want to experience contentment, I'm not saying you won't have need, but even in the midst of your need, you need to give thanks for what you've already got. Look how he says it in this verse. He says, this is verse 6, in every situation, by prayer and petition, and then he says this, with thanksgiving. So what's fascinating is the presumption of the first line is that you need something. There's stuff that you need. You're asking, you're petitioning, you're praying God, I have needs, but when you're asking for those things, do it with thanksgiving. That's how you present your needs to God. And then he says this, here's the result. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to experience contentment? You want to experience peace? You want to experience, you want to experience a, a, a sense of wholeness and fullness in your life? Give thanks. Give thanks right in the midst of it. Let God, let God know that you're grateful for what you have right now, even while you're asking for what you need. Because when you do that, you know, it's, it's impossible to be grateful and discontented at the same time. It's, it's just like, it's like totally impossible. It's completely, in fact, let's do this real quick exercise. Real quick exercise. We just had Thanksgiving, right? So you guys have all this right at the forefront of your mind. Turn to somebody near you and just tell them two things. We only have time for two. Two things that you are grateful for. Just, take, just do it right now. Just find somebody next to you. Tell them two things that you're grateful for. Just tell them. Go for it right now, right here, live and in person. Talk away. Enjoy yourself. Are you guys really doing it? Are you guys doing it? I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you sharing with other people. You got it? All right. Did somebody share? Did somebody share with you? Are you? Now let me ask you this. Right now, right now, you're more content than you were 30 seconds ago because you're focusing on the good. You're focusing on that, which is, that for which you are grateful. If you want to experience contentment, he says, give thanks in the midst. Give thanks in the midst of need. And then he ends up taking it one step further, and we're going to close with this in just a minute. He says, not only rejoice, not only give thanks, but if you want to experience contentment, focus on God's goodness. Focus on God's goodness. Several years ago, uh, there was a woman in our church named Rosie Johnson, amazing woman of God, and she had an illness, and I went to visit her in the hospital, and 
I went to the hospital expecting that she was going to be suffering, which she was, and I was expecting that, you know, I'm going to probably try to encourage her and inspire her and, you know, because I felt like she was probably going to be pretty down. I mean, she was really going through some hard, hard times. And I went into the hospital. It was at St. Mary's. And I come in. I go, hey, Rosie, how you doing? She goes, well, I'm doing pretty good, Pastor Brent. And I was like, okay, because I wasn't expecting that. She goes, yeah, um, you know, the doctors and nurses have been so great. She said, the food is incredible here. I get to watch all the TV I want. I got my crossword puzzles. I don't have to cook. I don't have to clean. I mean, God's good. I'm doing great. How are you? And I was like, well, I'm doing pretty fantastic now that I think about it, right? Because she learned something. She learned that in the very midst of pain and in the very midst of suffering, she was focused on God's good. She was focused on what God had for her life. She was focused on his goodness, even in the midst of pain. Paul puts it like this. He says this. Finally, brothers, whatever, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. You want to learn the secret to contentment? Rejoice in God. Give thanks to God. Focus on God's goodness. Because the secret to contentment is found in the source. And the source never ends. The, force, the source never stops. The source goes on and on. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap this up right now. I want, you to, I want you to do something this week that will allow you to take this truth, this reality, from the scripture, this secret, and begin to use it in your life. Because the very last thing he says in this, in this passage, he says, whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, or you've heard from me, or you've seen in me, put it into practice. If you really want to do this, this is why he says, I've learned the secret. It's not something that just the lights come on and it's done. This is a practice. Practice means consistency. Consistency is better than intensity. Consi you can go into the gym and work out really hard one time, and you will not be any better off. In fact, you might be a little worse off. But if you go in there every day consistently, you spend time. Consistency is better than intensity. You can come to church and get excited and shout and holler and, you know, throw down sometimes. Not that often, but it could happen. But if you don't take it out and put it into practice then it won't, it, won't, it won't take root in your heart. So here's what I want us to do, and I'm going to close with this. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going to learn one prayer, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to say this prayer. I want you to say it tonight before you go to bed. Say it in the morning when you wake up. You can do your own riff, your own variation. I'm going to give you the simplest, cleanest, mildest, easiest version of it so that you can remember it. And here's what it is. It's three points. Lord, I rejoice in you. I might not be rejoicing in my circumstances. I might not re be rejoicing in myself. I'm, I'm like, I'm just not good right now. I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm unsatisfied. I'm, but I'm not rejoicing in me anyway. I'm rejoicing in you because you're good. You're good in a bad situation. Lord, I rejoice in you. Lord, I thank you. I'm not saying I don't have needs. I'm not saying there aren't things I want. I'm not saying that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have any desires, but what I am saying is I thank you for what I do have. Lord, I rejoice in you. Lord, I thank you. And the third one is just simple. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. When everything, when everything else is not good, you're good. 
And I want to start to develop, I want to start to practice the secret to contentment. I want to start to practice it by putting into practice the truth that the Apostle Paul is teaching us today, which is the secret of contentment is found in the source. What is the source of your contentment? Because if it's the Lord, you've untapped, you've, you've unlocked the secret, and all you've got to keep doing is going back to the source. He's the source of your strength. He's the source of your contentment. He's the source of your joy. He's the source of your love. He's the source of your power. No matter what you're going through, the Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content in good and bad in all situations. And I want that for you, he's saying. I want you to experience it right here, right now, today. Do you have this memorized? You guys got this memorized? If my kids can learn 10 commandments, you can learn three, a three-pointed prayer. Let's pray this every day this week. Now, if you just get so good at it that you start to expand and just develop a big old beautiful, amazing prayer yourself, awesome. But start with this, at least this. And then pray this throughout this week and then come back next Sunday and you can pray it in our prayer room when we launch the prayer room. How about that? Amen? Let's all stand together now. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you as we dismiss. And I want to pray that God would extend his, the contentment that the Apostle Paul experienced into your life and that you would go after it with everything you've got. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now grateful for your love and your mercy and your peace, grateful for your joy, grateful for your power. God, we do, we do rejoice in you. We come and we celebrate you no matter what else is going on. We rejoice in you. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives today. And God, we just acknowledge that you are good. We acknowledge how good you are, how great you are, how glorious you are, God. We love you with everything we've got. We praise you. We give you all of our heart, soul, mind, and body today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Give somebody a hug or a handshake on your way out. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.